verses 17 through 32, and it's found on page 1,821 in your pew Bible. Living as children of light. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his hands, that he may have something to share with those indeed. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every other form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Thank you, Barb. Boys and girls, would you come up for children's sermon? Good morning, boys and girls. How we doing? That didn't sound very good. How we doing? Good. I'm so glad we can have the children's time now that I (laughs) got it figured out when to do it. Okay, I have a picture that I wanted to bring with me and show you this morning of a little boy. See him? He's dressed so nice, isn't he? Bet you guys don't even know what bow ties are, but that's a bow tie. Okay, I have a question for you about this little boy. Um, Do you know who it is? Who? George Washington? No. (laughs) That's a really good guess. I'm going to give you guys a big hint, okay? This little boy that you see right here is a grown-up now, 
and he is a grown-up that is here in church. How about right next, right there? It's Pastor Dan. <laughs> okay, good job. Aren't you glad you aren't George Washington, Dan? <laughs> okay, got another picture for you. I'll let you take a look at that. Pretty little girl. She has nice dress on. Okay. So, what do you guys think? Same question. Who do you think this is? Yeah. It's me. <laughs> right. Good job. You guys are catching on. Okay, here's my last picture. Here's another baby. Really small baby, it looks like, huh? Not very old. Pretty little. Okay. And same question. Do you know who this is? Any ideas, Jackson? Oh, you think it was me when I was littler? Nope. Good guess, though. Nope, it's not, not me this time. Pastor Dan, you're not helping my children's message. <laughs> okay, so I'm going I'm to give you a hint. It's not that good of a hint, but I will say that this picture um, is of someone who is a, a girl now, and she is sitting here at the children's time. So that's a little bit of a hint. Give up? Okay. This is Shannon. Yep, Shannon Cook. Thank you so much to her brothers who did not shout that out. <laughs> okay. Now, um, if you think about that picture that I showed you of Pastor Dan, the little boy with the bow tie on, um, is he the same size in the picture as he is now? No. Okay. What happened to him? He grew. Good job. He grew. When Pastor Dan was little, there were some things that he had to do in order to grow, right? His mom and dad helped him eat good food, healthy food, most of the time probably. And they said to him, time for bed. You got to get some sleep. Go to bed. And boys and girls, it's the same thing for you, isn't it? You guys, each one of you started out like a little baby, like the picture of Shannon. And so you have to eat healthy food too, don't you? That your mom and dad tell you to eat. And do they ever say to you, okay, time to get ready for bed? Because you need a lot of sleep. That's part of letting your body rest so you grow. Now, there's another kind of growing that happens when we come to church on Sunday <clears throat> or when we're at Pioneer Club Wednesday nights or maybe if your mom or dad read a story to you from the Bible when you're at home. And that kind of growing is learning more about God. Can you think of any ways that you can learn about God? 
Jackson? Reading the Bible, right? We learn a lot more, don't we? Anybody else? How can you learn more about God? What do you think? Trusting in God. Good job. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes it's hard to trust, isn't it? So here at First Reformed, we, <clears throat> we all want to grow together. And that means we want to um, learn more and more about God together. Now, when you guys were a baby, not that you remember, but tell me what you think. Did you do everything by yourself? Like, if you needed a bottle, you just went ahead and got it ready and... No? No? Okay. Maybe mom or dad helped you with that. How about now, if you guys get hungry, do you just go in the kitchen and say, well, see what I can cook up here? Do you make all your own food? Oh, you don't. Okay. Mom or dad helped you with that too? Okay. I was hoping you'd say that. And... Um, what about bedtime? Do you just say on your own, well, I think I'll go to bed now. I need to get my sleep. <laughs> no. Usually mom or dad have to coax you a little bit, right, and help you learn that the day is over. We got to sleep. So, and it's the same way with learning about God. What I mean is we need each other to learn more about God. That is how it happens best. We need to be patient with each other. We need to always tell the truth. And sometimes there's gonna be times when somebody hurts us, maybe says something mean, then we have to forgive them. And that can be kind of hard. But we can all continue to learn more about God and grow together here at our church. So boys and girls, when you go home today, I want you to ask your mom or dad and say, do you have a picture of me like when I was really little, like a baby? Can you show it to me? And when you look at that picture, you remember that God gave you a family that has helped you to grow, right? And get bigger and be healthy. And in the same way, God has given you this church right here to learn more about him. Okay, thanks so much for coming up. <clears throat> well, thank you, Mrs. Hagar. <clears throat> and thank you guys for turning off my mic when we were up here discussing this. <clears throat> I think we have another item for our uh, <clears throat> staff meeting on Tuesday. <laughs> well, Sue has introduced our theme today. And the verse from the scripture that speaks to it is Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. Where Paul says we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, from the very beginning, God created us human beings to be like him. We are uniquely created in the image and likeness of God. That's what it says in the very first chapter of the Bible. We are like God in that we're spiritual, we're intellectual, we're relational, we're moral beings with the capacity to choose right and wrong. But God's image is incomplete in us. 
and it's been damaged. It's been corrupted like rust on a car by sin. And this is why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to provide forgiveness and to restore that full image in us. And that's what Ephesians 4.24 means when it talks about the new self, the true self. In Christ, we become new creations. We are reborn. That doesn't mean we become God or that we become a God. It means we become godly. We grow in the character of our Creator. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is God's goal with us, that we be transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus, that we grow in godly character. And the way God does this is through His Holy Spirit who, who fills us, who dwells in us, who takes up residence in us, and then He uses God's Word, the truth, prayer, circumstances in our lives, worship, reflection and thinking, serving, tithing, fasting, solitude and silence, the sacraments, all of these things He uses to develop us. We call these things spiritual disciplines. Spiritual practices. The Spirit uses them to grow us. But, as Sue shared in the children's message, God has another tool. He has another way that He uses in our lives to build godliness, <clears throat> and that is people. God uses relationships to encourage our spiritual maturity. And this includes spiritual friendships. So our theme today with the 40 days of community is how do we help each other grow? How do we help each other grow? 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage each other and build each other up. We need encouragement, we need input from one another to grow. The principles that we will share this morning here in this message, they'll apply to any relationship, your spouse, with your children, your friends, the people you work with, the people in your small group. Because when we love each other in these ways, we help each other to grow. So what do we need from each other? Today we're going to share three, there's more, but these three basics. First, we pray for each other's spiritual growth. Colossians 4.12, Paul says, Epaphroditus is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. This is where it starts. Spiritual growth is a spiritual experience, a process that involves spiritual discipline of prayer. Now, I've admitted before, prayer comes hard for me. You would think prayer would be something natural, but for me, it's something I have to be very deliberate about and I have to learn. What's impressive about Paul's friend, Epaphroditus, is he takes the time 
and the discipline. He wrestles in prayer for other people. Now, I'm sure all of us, we pray for people's needs. We get that prayer chain call and somebody's you know, having a crisis and, and we pray for their needs and God will help them. But can we spend as much time praying for each other's spiritual growth? For what in Colossians says, that we would mature in our faith. That our characters would be transformed. Now, if you don't know what to pray for others, let me give you some options. There's some biblical examples. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope, and this is his prayer, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul prays that they would have hope and joy and peace and faith. Ephesians 1.17 I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. God wants to give us wisdom, not just for making decisions, but to know Him, to experience Him. The deeper our relationship with God, the more we become like Him. And it's something to pray about. 2 Thessalonians 3.5, I pray the Lord will direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. We want to pray that we will be directed into the love of God and that we will persevere in life. These, these are just some examples of many in the New Testament that we can pray for one another. This is something we can do in our small groups. You can go around in the circle and pray sentence prayers for the person on your left and just go around the circle and pray for each person asking God to fill them with the Spirit, to promote their spiritual growth. How encouraging would that be to hear somebody praying for you and your spiritual development? We want to make this a priority because it begins with prayer. All throughout the church, all in our families, this is where it starts, praying for godly growth. And secondly, we encourage one another to grow by affirming each other's value and worth. All of us are looking for affirmation. Some people do just about anything to get it, even weird and dangerous things, just to get attention, just to feel validated. When we affirm others, we are simply showing love. We are giving them attention. This is what Jesus did. He affirmed people as he ministered to them. That was his work. And that is to be our work. Now in your outline, I specify three ways that we can affirm one another. There's more, but these are three examples. One way to affirm others is to accept one another. To accept each other. Romans 15, 7, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Would you agree that we live in a world of put-downs and insults? 
You watch these late night TV shows and that's what all the humor is. It's just putting people down. Our culture teaches us to compare everything, to, to rate each other's appearance and, and abilities and how much money we have. Sometimes to make ourselves feel better, we will gossip about people. We will become critical and judgmental of others just so we feel good. But Romans 14.10 says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. In other words, it's God who will do the judging, not us. Our job is to build each other up rather than putting each other down. To accept someone is to receive them. Receive them for who they are and what they are. Sometimes acceptance means having tolerance for things we may disagree with or things we don't like. But as I often do, I distinguish between acceptance and approval. I feel we're called to accept one another and to accept other people even though I may not approve of their beliefs or approve of their lifestyle. Our place is to be loving. Showing appreciation is another way of affirming, taking it to the next level. Appreciation means to raise in value. To raise in value. Every time you express appreciation to someone, you are raising their value in your, your own mind and to other people. When you appreciate your spouse, you're raising their value. When you appreciate your children, you are raising their value. When we appreciate one another in the church, we're raising our value. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. In the past couple weeks since we started the campaign, I have witnessed some really cool things that various small groups have done to show appreciation and to acknowledge people's hard work. When's the last time you expressed appreciation to a Sunday school teacher or a pioneer club guide or a youth club or a youth group leader or the musicians or the um, uh, ushers and greeters, the, the audiovisual people, those who cook and serve, a lot of the behind the scenes people? Appreciating one another motivates us. It motivates us to keep growing, to keep developing. So we accept one another, we appreciate one another, and then another way we affirm is with affection. And I'm talking about physical touch. And I realize that this is a sensitive issue in our sexually chaotic culture. There is a lot of inappropriate touch. There is sexual harassment and sexual abuse. But the scripture is full of examples and admonishments to appropriately affirm with affection. Romans 12.10 in the 
English Standard Version says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then in 1 Peter 5, 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. In Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we don't have to take the holy kiss thing literally. That was a cultural expression at that time, and in the Middle East, that is how they do it. But there is a call here, and we can apply it with affection. Appropriate touch is very powerful. When you read through the Bible, the Gospels in particular, you see Jesus over and over touching people. Sometimes when he heals them, other times when he's delivering them. And he doesn't have to touch them to heal them. Because there are examples in circumstances where he heals people, he, they're not even there. But Jesus uses the power of touch to affirm, to express love and acceptance. Hugs, handshakes, a touch on the arm, a touch on the shoulder is affirming. And friends, many of our elderly, especially widows and widowers, are deprived of physical affection. They especially need touch. And our little ones, they need extra doses of affection. Appropriate affection is affirming. On the Monday after the house fire in George, Sue and Cheryl and I, along with many others, spent the day in teams going through the school, processing with classes and children and the staff. And in one section, third grade section, the school counselor did a presentation. And then when she was done, she said, now I'm available for hugs. Who needs a hug? And two-thirds of the hands shot up. And that little, those little hands shot up in that room. And they wanted the affirmation of touch in the midst of their fear and their grief. And they got it. It's beautiful. We encourage one another to grow in our faith by praying for each other, by affirming each other, by uh, thirdly, being honest with each other. Bringing authenticity into our relationships. Ephesians 4.25 our scripture today, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Why? For we are all members of one body. Now this means more than being honest in information you share, being honest in business exchanges. It's, it's not less than that, but it's more than that. In terms of our relationship, speaking truthfully is being open about ourselves. Being real your, about your fears, about your doubts, your compulsions, your feelings, your, your thoughts. Being honest about what's going on in your life and in you and taking responsibility for it, not blaming other people for it, it will draw you closer in your relationships. It is a risk. And it has to be a calculated risk. You don't share yourself with everybody, but with trusted people. And it's worth the risk. 
The Bible says there's four benefits to being open and honest in safe relationships and groups. Because one of these is honesty promotes spiritual and emotional healing. Spiritual and emotional healing. Listen to James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Notice the Bible tells us to admit our faults to one another. Not necessarily to a priest or a pastor or a counselor, but to one another. And then pray for each other. And what's noteworthy here in this verse is it says, we confess to each other so that we may be healed, that we may be restored. There's an important distinction here between being forgiven and being healed. When I need forgiveness, I can go directly to God, I can confess my sin and receive His grace. I don't need to tell anyone else unless I hurt someone else. Then I need to go to them and admit it. But for other things, I can experience forgiveness, God and I. But what the Scripture's teaching here is in order to overcome guilt and to grow in our faith and be healed and recover, I need to confess it to another human being, another trusted person. This is how we're wired. This is how God created us. He did not create us to hold secrets in our hearts because those secrets will eat us up inside. They will result in negative emotions and reactions and compulsions and addictions and mental distress and physical symptoms. We don't have to tell everybody but we need to talk to someone. We need to process our guilt and pray to be healed. Friends, there's a cost to hiding and isolating our sins and hurts. Honesty, honest confession promotes healing. Honestly, honesty also gives new beginnings. Coming out of that, there's a new start. Proverbs 28:13 Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy So not only does God or does confession promote healing but gives us a new start When I'm honest with somebody about my faults and my failures I can be released I can find freedom and move forward. You see, God does not want us to wallow in our failures. God wants to take the worst things that happen in our lives. He wants to bring healing and then He wants to recycle that pain for the good of others. There's nothing in our lives that God cannot use for His purposes. Nothing. But, it can't happen unless we're honest and open about it. God gives second chances. He gives third chances. He gives 50th chances. He gives 300 chances. God never gives up on you. 
Paul said in Ephesians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a promise. But for it to happen, I have to cooperate. And that cooperation means some honesty somewhere with someone. And then another benefit of honesty that just kind of builds on these things is the power to change. Our energy, when, when we stuff things and hide things, we're putting all kinds of energy into doing that. Emotional, spiritual energy. When we hide our sins and our failures. And that's wasted energy. It's energy that can be used to help us grow. When I admit my mistakes, when I talk with some others and talk with God and get it out in the open, energy is freed that I can use to grow in my faith. Does that make sense? Have you experienced that in your life? James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's another promise. And one of the ways to humble ourselves is to confess and talk with another person or persons. Face to face. And when we do that, God lifts us up. He will lift us out of the muck and the mire and give us grace and give us mercy and give us a new chance. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I know how difficult this is. I mean, we all fear what other people will think of us and how they'll react. But you know what often happens? I, I had a situation some years ago. I was struggling with something and I uh, made an appointment. I went to see a fellow clergy person. And, and uh, sat down and I said, look, I, I want to talk about something I'm struggling with in my life, a temptation, and I, I need to talk about it. I need to do everything I've been talking about here, and I need accountability. He said, okay. So we agreed to meet with each other, and then he said, you know what? I got the same problem. Oh, okay. So we coveted together. For years, we've been meeting once a week, and we ask the questions we need to ask each other. And when there's failure, we confess, and we pray, and we start over. Nobody's perfect. We need to be honest about it. All of us blow it. We need the grace to grow beyond. And then the next thing that honesty does that builds on this is, is it creates a deeper fellowship with one another. A deeper connection in our relationships. 1 John 1, 7, But if I walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You know, walking in the light means to walk in truth and honesty. You can't hide anything in the light. We fear that people will think less of us. But again, the opposite can happen. The more honest and authentic you are as a person, 
more people will be attracted to you. What is more attractive to you? Someone who's deceitful or someone who is honest? Someone who's phony or someone who's real? People who fake and try to look like they're perfect and hide everything, they're not attractive. But honesty deepens relationships. It's in open, deep, trusting relationships where spiritual transformation happens where growth happens. Our theme today is that we spiritually mature better together. We need each other's encouragement. We show that in praying for each other, affirming each other, and being authentic with each other. God uses the church. He uses our relationships along with His Word and prayer and other spiritual disciplines to grow our faith and to grow our love and to grow our hope. 1 Timothy 4, 7 admonishes us to train yourself to be godly. In other words, we don't try to be godly. We don't try to be like Jesus. That doesn't work. We train ourselves to be like Jesus. And a significant part of that training is spiritual friendships. If love is a mark of Christian maturity, then obviously we need each other to grow in love. So, how would you describe the quality of your Christian fellowship? Your relationships with other believers? How deep, how meaningful, how affirming, how authentic are they? Have you been and are you willing to work hard at those spiritual relationships? Do you find yourself lonely? Maybe you have a lot of acquaintances, but they're all shallow. This morning, we've only considered a few important qualities of develop, developing spiritual friendships. But we've looked at some key things, and it's one thing to know them, it's another thing to believe them, and it's yet another thing to put them into practice. To find encouragement in Christ, to grow in Christ, in our relationships, we have to commit to these things and put them into practice. What is the Holy Spirit telling you this morning that you need to focus on in your relationships? Your relationship is a friend for what others need to mature in Christ and what you need to grow in godliness. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the ultimate relationship. Lord God, you are a relationship in a mysterious way and you made us for relationship. We confess that today. And we ask your forgiveness where we put autonomy and individuality above belonging and loving. Holy Spirit, inspire us today to pray for one another. Not just for our needs and problems to be solved, but that we would grow 
in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And motivate us to affirm one another, to look for the good in each other, to share positive feedback, and to let go of judgmental attitudes. Father, help us to appropriately touch people when they're hurting, to affirm each other in all the ways that we can. And Lord, we pray for courage to be real. Lord, we know we don't have to dump the truck on people or vomit out our emotions, but we ask for discretion for places and with people that we can share our true selves and be accepted and find healing and pray together that we may grow and would come like you. So Father, we pray these things, we trust you, are at work amongst us, and may we be a blessing to each other and to you, in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, let's uh, receive our morning offering, and we'll sing our closing hymn, My Jesus, I Love Thee.